an explosion at the center of Missouri's political universe, with ripples extending to every branch of government and into ordinary Missourians' no longer private lives. The Missouri House Committee investigating Governor Eric Greitens has released a graphic report about the governor's affair with his former hairstylist, and Republicans and Democrats alike are calling for resignation, and if that doesn't happen, impeachment. I'm Brian Ellison. We'll unpack that report, hear legislative reactions, and talk about what happens next on this special edition of Statehouse Blend, Missouri. The workday for Missouri reporters began about the time yours was ending on Wednesday. The committee report came out at 5 p.m., and the KCUR newsroom, like others around the state, spent the evening calling legislators, writing, editing, and reading page after page of explicit encounters. Finally, late into the night, I convinced KCUR editor Erica Hunzinger to join me for one last conversation before we headed home. (laughs) Hi, Brian. How's it going? We discussed the report in detail, and a warning in all seriousness, there is information here of a sexual and violent nature that many listeners will find disturbing. Yeah, there's heavy stuff. Uh, I think I think it's important for us to start with the basics. Uh, this this is a bipartisan committee. Right. They've been around since March, and they called a number of witnesses to really dig into this felony invasion of privacy charge that Governor Eric Greitens is going to be tried on next month. What I want to know is what were they trying to understand? Well, that's a great question. So the chairman of the committee, Jay Barnes, said at the outset that this committee was focused on the underlying facts uh, behind these allegations. What's interesting is that we didn't spend all that much time on the invasion of privacy charge that is at the heart of the trial next month. Um, What we got was a very comprehensive picture of the relationship between Greitens and the woman who is identified in this document as Witness 1 – in the indictment, we, we know her initials are KS. Yes, and um, we know that who she was. She's a former hairstylist for, for Greitens and other people in St. Louis. The, the, the document, the, the main 25-page report is a series of, of paragraphs, essentially. And there's, I, I think it gets up to number uh, 82 before it's over. But number one is a simple line. And that line is, the committee finds witness one to be an overall credible witness. A unanimous committee, five Republicans, two Democrats, says that the woman involved in in this relationship, this affair with Governor Greitens, is credible. And in the absence of anyone contradicting her testimony, and the governor didn't testify, they essentially treat as fact everything else that that she says. And it's a a pretty remarkable list of things. And even though, uh, you know, even the governor himself had a news conference ahead of the report, and he came out and he said, this is a political witch hunt. Everything you're going to hear in here is a lie. We fully expect that the report being released tonight will include lies and falsehoods. I want to say again what I've said from the beginning. This is a political witch hunt. And then, as you said, the first paragraph in that report is she's a credible witness. or We believe her to be a credible witness. So, Yeah, and, and, and you know, the other thing the governor did in that um, pre- uh, his response to uh, to this report is question the credibility of of this woman. Uh, he talked about something that has already been leaked from the deposition she gave apparently last week, in which she she said on one particular point, the point about whether she had seen the governor's telephone, that she couldn't remember that exactly, that she wasn't sure whether that was something she had actually seen or something that she remembered in a dream. Uh, and this is the this is the cell phone that she says. He took a picture of her. Right. She said that on that point, she wasn't sure, so she couldn't testify to that under oath. But what 
he did in the press conference was use that to suggest that all of her testimony was suspect, that uh, she has said under oath that there's things she can't remember and so she shouldn't be trusted. And uh, at least a couple of the legislators we talked to this afternoon responded especially negatively to the fact that the governor had rather than using the lines that he used in the first days after these allegations came out, that this is a private matter, that he respected the woman's privacy. Instead, he attacked her, Mm. attacked her credibility and tried to undermine her. And I think that's not sitting well with a lot of legislators. Let's discuss this this testimony because it's pretty lengthy. There's a whole transcript of it. How did he meet her? And when did they meet? So uh, as you said, she was his hairstylist and they apparently uh, first met when he was a client in 2013. Uh, And then on March 7th, 2015 or so, he came in for a haircut and that's when things started to, to be very different. What happened that day? So on March 7th, he puts his hand uh, on uh, on her leg uh, and slides it all the way up. And that is surprising to her. But she says uh, she says she's curious. Uh, and she talks very candidly with the committee that she about having sort of a crush on him. She thinks he's a great guy. They had a good relationship. They talked about books a lot. Exactly. And she, she admits that she was sort of flirting with him and she feels bad about that because uh, she knows that he's married and that, that, in fact, he has a baby on the way. And she herself was going through separation at that, at that moment. And so, um, and that's sort of where that ends. She didn't give consent for him to do that. Right. Uh, but her reaction initially, um, she did not initially respond with, with, uh, reporting that or with telling him to stop. She just said she didn't address it exactly. and then continued. So the big date in in all of this report is March 21st. This is the the description that gives lawmakers real pause, at least the ones that we talked to today and I think you know the ones that have spoken publicly about the need to possibly resign here. Um, what is that day? What happened? She agrees to meet him at his house on a Saturday morning uh, before work. She's supposed to be to work at 7.45 a.m. 45 minutes. So this begins at 7 a.m. He asks her to come to the back door. She gets there, and and again, I'm I'm going to state all of this as though it were fact. This is all the woman's testimony. Uh, She goes to the back door. He lets her in quickly. He empties her purse and pats her down. All while saying, be quiet. Right. Makes a, holds up his, his finger to his lips. And so they had discussed, I think, you know, the idea of exercise, and there's a whole bunch of stuff in that transcript, but when she comes in, he rifles through a purse, he says, you know, he he feels comfortable enough, and then says, go and change into this t-shirt and this pair of pajama pants, and we're going to go work out. Right, and she says this is sort of interesting. She she thinks it's going to be some sort of sexy workout, uh, and that, that's her words, um, where uh, they that will be their encounter. But remember, she, she has already told him she doesn't have much time. Um, but he still manages to, uh, to convince her to come down to the basement uh, where he has workout equipment. But when, when they get down there, um, they're on one of the, uh, on a workout bench, he has a roll of some kind of tape and a blindfold. Um, and according to the woman's testimony, he uses the tape to tie her hands to a pair of pull-up rings, uh, uh, blindfolds her. And then proceeds, in, and this is described in pretty graphic detail Very in the report, detail. to uh, to kiss her, um, to, to move those kisses lower and lower on her body, to uh, pull off her pants, uh, all while her hands are tied. Um, and she is not giving consent for, for any of those right. acts. Right. And then, um, you know, again, not going into 
graphic detail, the, the shirt is ripped, and then she says that she is blindfolded, and she sees a flash, and hears the sound of what would be a cell phone taking a picture. Now, she, she testifies, and they, they obviously pressed her on this point uh, to pretty extensively. She testif- it is the key. It, because it's the key is, to the criminal the trial. Exactly. Um, and she says she did not actually see him take the picture. She was blindfolded. Um, she says she, didn't, she doesn't remember whether she saw the camera or when she next saw the, the phone. Uh, and she, she never saw the photograph that he allegedly took. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason she believes so strongly that there was a photograph is that he told her there was and told her he needed to take a picture of her to protect himself because he's going to run for office and he can't let this get out. And he tells her all that, according to her testimony, um, says that he just needs to protect himself, but he feels bad about what happened. And so when she sees him later that day, it turns out that she returned to his house because she forgot her keys, she says. So after she got off work, she went back to the house, confronted him about the picture, and he tells her he felt bad about it and deleted it. Um, And that's... That's all she knows about that that photograph. But before she even left the house that day, she um, starts to sob and feels terrible about what's going on. And they end up on the basement floor. He's next to her, and she says that she has to do a sex act that she is not necessarily willing to do, but that she's running out of time and needs to go. Yeah, this is really, I mean, this is really the most disturbing scene, I think, in the whole report. And I think this is what the lawmakers um, were trying to to get at when they were speaking about this today. She's lying on the basement floor crying. He is uh, apparently lying next to her. And in some sort of mix of comfort, uh, comforting words and touch is also... uh, uh, at some point asks her to perform oral sex on him, and, and she does, right. as you said, because she didn't think she was going to get out of the basement and get to work if she didn't just go ahead and do it. And exactly. that's, what, that's what she does. And she has told her, you know, her friends back this testimony up during their uh, their own testimony as well. Um, so that is kind of the key part. That's the part that I think a lot of lawmakers really focused on today when they gave their responses. But there were a few other encounters. Um, can you just briefly describe those? Yeah, the relationship did continue uh, off and on in different ways after this. There were several other incidents, though, reported when uh, Greitens confronted her about the fact that she was, even though she had said she was separating from her husband, she told him that they had had sex. I believe they had reunited at that point. And I mean, again, it's over the course of months. Right. And when and when she tells Greitens this, uh, she testified that that he slapped her um, across the face. Uh, n- not, she says, in a way that injured not her. Playful. Didn't leave a scar, right. but it also wasn't playful. It was very surprising to her. She didn't like it. Um, and certainly... Uh, we we had legislators like Judy Morgan calling this sexual abuse. The interaction between the two of them, which uh, um, appeared to, uh, to to be sexual abuse on his part, so um, that was disturbing. We had uh, Greg Razor, a Democrat from Kansas City, referring to uh, the woman as the victim. Uh, a a woman is is tied in the basement and blindfolded, is crying. Um, is asking for it to stop when that woman is then um, laid on a cold basement floor and sexual acts are then performed. Uh, that is 
disturbing. So the way that, that people are hearing these accounts does not, are not the characteristics of a, uh, of a consensual relationship. The report was incredibly disturbing, and it was something that we should never see from an elected official. That's the House Democratic leader, Gail McCann Beatty. I spoke with her and also with Representative Kevin Corlew, a Republican, to get a sense of how lawmakers were reacting to this news on both sides of the aisle. Well, I, I don't think any person in their right mind thinks that the behavior that's alleged is, is proper and is correct. I certainly could not look at my children in the eyes and tell them that the behavior that's, that's being uh, exhibited in the report and attributed to the governor is anything that, that I would ever uh, condone. Representative Gail McCann Beatty, to the governor's point, are you concerned that uh, he has not had a chance to, to weigh in fully, that the matters that should be settled in a court of law have, have not been fully explored in that way? Well, I think once you see the report, um, the governor was repeatedly uh, requested to come and testify in front of the committee, and he refused. The committee met with the governor's attorneys. They asked um, him to respond to questions, and he refused to do any of that. The governor had ample opportunity um, to sit down with this committee and give his side, and he simply refused to do so. Representative Corlew, you had already called on the governor to resign. What has changed with the release of this report? It did not change in my in my thoughts that he should resign. I do think that um, even more so, based upon what we know now, that uh, his ability to lead this state has been seriously compromised, uh, and the confidence that we as a people would have in him has been compromised. Um, So, no, I renew my call upon the governor to, to immediately resign. Previously, you said you you stopped short of saying that he should be impeached. Based on what you now know from this report, do you think the House should proceed with impeachment? I think that that we should seriously consider impeachment and take a look at these facts again and continuing to deliberate over them and see if they match up to what's required in the Constitution. But I do think that we need to consider impeachment at this point. And I think we need to do that with uh, seriousness and uh, deliberation and make sure that we, we take the, the highest importance of, of that duty. Um, but I do think we need to consider impeachment at this time. Kevin Corlew and Gail McCann Beatty aren't the only legislators now talking about resignation and impeachment. There's Republican Attorney General Josh Hawley, as well as the senator he hopes to unseat, Democrat Claire McCaskill. There's Republican Congresswomen Vicki Hartzler and Ann Wagner. There are also still a lot of questions about what could happen next. So there was great, uh, I guess, anticipation in Jefferson City and in the state and kind of uh, among people in the know today about this report ahead of time. Um But it says nothing about what should happen next. And there's no recommendations on whether the governor should be reprimanded or even impeached. So I think the real question is, what what happens now? Well, that is the next question. And and it isn't entirely clear. But we did get some hints in a press conference held by the Speaker of the House a little later uh, today after this report was released. The Speaker said that 
he and the committee leadership are now expanding the charge of the committee. So their first part of their task was fact-gathering, but now they will actually consider possible disciplinary actions to recommend uh, against the governor. The power given to the Missouri General Assembly to take disciplinary action or to remove elected officials from office is one of the most serious and consequential powers the Constitution grants the legislature. We will not take that responsibility lightly. Um, what the speaker did say is that there's no way that the, the committee will be able to complete that work before the end of the regular session. There's only five weeks. Only five <laughs> weeks left. <laughs> and uh, and that last week of the session is is the week that Greitens goes to trial. Not to mention the fact that there's some other legislation that all has to pay, be passed uh, before <laughs> They're trying the to pass the taxes. They're trying to pass the budget. There's a, a possible transportation issue. So th this is, a, this is a, a lot to accomplish if they really are going to look seriously at disciplinary steps. And so uh, the speaker said, we're working on calling a special session. Uh, so it looks like um, regardless of what happens in the governor's trial in May, uh, there's a very real possibility that he could still have more challenges ahead uh, at the hands of the General Assembly. And it's not a partisan thing. I mean, the, the Speaker of the House is a Republican. The Senate leadership is Republican. Yeah, uh, even Attorney General Josh Hawley today, who is the likely challenger for Claire McCaskill in the Senate race for the U.S. Senate seat, he says the conduct detailed in the report is, quote, certainly impeachable. Are we at a tipping point? Uh, it, it Today certainly felt... To, to, to me, at least, Erica, like like we have we have crossed a line today. You saw Republicans uh, actually crossing that line and calling for impeachment today. You saw that from Josh Hawley, as you mentioned, uh, Congresswoman Vicki Hartzler uh, from uh, the Fourth District here in Missouri. Um, she she called on the governor to to resign today. Um, so we've seen some things we haven't seen before. Um, having said that. There is absolutely no indication that the governor has any intention of doing so. He was absolutely defiant in his press conference uh, and, and said he has every intention of continuing to work for the people of Missouri and seemed to believe that if he was cleared in the trial, um, that, would, that would be enough to get him off the hook. It didn't appear that that would be the case. Even if he isn't convicted in the trial, it looks like uh, there's real concerns. As, as Representative Corlew pointed out, the Constitution allows a, a governor to be impeached for acts of moral turpitude. Mm -hmm. And uh, this seems to be Even fitting, once three years ago. Yeah, this seems to be fitting their definition of what maybe moral turpitude is. This special edition of Statehouse Blend Missouri has been produced by Matt Hodap, with production help by KCUR's Maria Carter. You can keep up with all the latest by listening to KCUR 89.3 in Kansas City, reading online at kcur.org, or following me on Twitter. I'm at PTSBrian. We do have a special live taping of Statehouse Blend coming up the evening of Thursday, April 19th. It's at the Buffalo Room at the Westport Flea Market in Kansas City, and the topic is gun laws in Missouri. You can find out more at kcur.org slash statehouseblend, and we hope to see you there. I'm Brian Ellison. Thanks for listening.